0: Everyone, and welcome back to Let's Unpack That, your weekly podcast where this queer millennial and his friends unpack topics to the top of our mind through the lens of anxiety, depression, politics, and everything in between. Every week, that intro will change because every week I get more tired of 2020. Today, we are unpacking uh, how to stay engaged in politics because um, I've noticed a decrease in engagement in myself. I've noticed that and the people who follow me on Instagram, Um, and I know that you guys have all felt it too. So really, this podcast is all about how we can stay engaged, how we can keep our momentum up, because at least for right now, we really have to push through, use our money, use our time, use our talents for the Senate races in Georgia. But we're not going to do that without having a lot of fun. So we have a couple things lined up. We'll unpack some headlines. We'll jump into our main story. And then we also have an interview with Audrey Bigelow, who was a volunteer for the Nevada Democrats during the Biden campaign. So a uh, really cool episode. Really excited um, to have you all here listening again. But this podcast will be nothing without my podcast fam. So uh, first, he's the wannabe Instagram model who still uses household bleach instead of Crest White strips. Kirk Wilson. Welcome back to the pod.
1: Thank you. Next. <laughs>
0: He's the video editor whose primary job is to judge the storytelling of stepfather porn Andrew Nagy.
2: <laughs> I'm happy to be here away from my main job at Pornhub.
0: <laughs> Speaking of, did you guys see that uh Pornhub or that Visa and MasterCard have banned Pornhub transactions because of the kitty porn? Yes. Yeah,
3: I that was gonna be my headline, but thanks.
2: <laughs> Sorry. Oh, yeah. uh, we'll cut that out then. Yeah.
1: No, we can talk about it in depth.
2: Yeah. <laughs> in, really in
0: needs an un, un, we, un, unpacking kitty porn really needs an unpack we really need to get in there okay <laughs> and and finally she's the volleyball coach who really knows how to set up for a spike using those ass cheeks erica ellis welcome back to the pod
3: who taught you about volleyball
0: <laughs> have you seen these legs have you seen this height I was a natural born. uh, What was that game that they used to play where you'd like catch the ball? That's literally all of them. (laughs) (laughs) No. I mean, like the one where you would like be on the volleyball court, you would like throw it over to your friend and then the person would catch it. It was like, yeah, or something. That was a Pocahontas reference. (laughs)
3: Wait. Nukem, Yes, yes
1: Nukem. Nuke let's
3: unpack this small little personal item. In your high school, they assumed that you guys were too uncoordinated and useless to play real volleyball. <laughs> they just made you play catch with each other.
0: I mean, you had to get it over the net at least.
1: <laughs> I feel like this was more of like a grade school thing than high school, I hope. Yeah.
0: It was like summer at the swim club type of thing. Speaking of kitty porn. He was gay. Yeah, yeah, speaking of kitty porn, (laughs) summer at the pool. This is a very professional podcast (laughs) so if we could keep the child porn references to (laughs) a minimum. I think we hit 10 already. (laughs) Well, good. We're a couple minutes in. Um, And with that, we're going to jump into one of our favorite segments before we unpack our main story, and that is headlines. And in headlines, we each pick one disturbing or interesting headline from this week's news, and we weigh in on why this one stuck out to us. This is part of our way to keep you accountable and make sure you all keep reading the news, but also so you have a little bit of entertainment. Um, Andrew, you are first up with your headline.
2: Okay, my headline comes from MSNBC. And the headline is Trump lawyers switch gears claim fraud is quote, undetectable. So we all know that Trump has been saying that there has been massive fraud for months and months and months, even long before the election actually happened. And they have lost dozens of court cases so far saying that there's fraud. And in fact, in a lot of court cases, they haven't even been alleging fraud because his lawyers know that they can't allege fraud because they don't even have the evidence to back it up in these court cases. So the cases keep getting thrown out. They're not even going to trial. So they released a court filing where they said, despite the chaos of election night and the days which followed, The media has consistently proclaimed that no widespread voter fraud has been proven. But this observation misses the point. The constitutional issue is not whether voters committed fraud, but whether state officials violated the law by systematically loosening the measures for ballot integrity so that fraud becomes undetectable. So this goes hand in hand with what is happening in Texas, where Texas is suing the four swing states where Biden won. Um, And basically now what they're saying is they've realized they can't prove any kind of fraud. They can't get any traction with whatever the fuck Rudy is up to farting around in courtrooms or not even courtrooms, just state legislators in front of hearings where they're just hearings. (laughs) Yeah, his quote unquote witnesses aren't even sworn in so they can say whatever the hell they want. So now what they're doing is they're changing to this tactic in courtrooms where they're saying, okay, well, states like Pennsylvania changed their election r- rules in a unconstitutional way, and they basically circumvented the legislative way they were supposed to do that, um, and they're using the pandemic, There, they use the pandemic to do that. So it goes back to, you know, okay... Are you saying the pandemic was a big old Democrat hoax and you just cooked it up to change the voting rules because, you know, you knew somehow a year ago that that was going to win you the election or like none of it makes any kind of sense. But the, the bottom line here is they're basically saying, um, well, we're still saying there's tons and tons of fraud, but you can't find it because you can't see it. So this is more of a blog article than a hard news item. It has this great quote in it. And it says, let's say I told you that Bigfoot is real. To be sure, Bigfoot is not real. But for the sake of conversation, let's say I was trying to convince you otherwise. You would ask for evidence. Initially, I'd respond by saying I have so much evidence of Bigfoot's existence that I hardly know what to do with it all. But once the conversation progresses, I'd switch gears and say, you know, asking for evidence misses the point. Bigfoot covers his tracks, making his existence undetectable, which I believe is in itself proof that Bigfoot is real. So basically what they're saying is the absence of evidence proves yet another unprovable point that these laws were changed unconstitutionally. Thus, somehow millions and millions of people of their own volition decided that they were going to commit voter fraud all at the same time together like does anybody just feel so tired of this i'm just tired hearing andrew talk about all that to be i'm tired honest. i'm tired after saying all that i want to be done now can we can we end the pod okay goodbye everybody
0: yeah <laughs> this was such a great episode <laughs> kitty born just it's just- <laughs> oh my god my <laughs> god my it's god. just like it's it's just it's it's Well, there was fraud everywhere, you know, and then there was fraud, but it was, it was hidden and malicious. And now it's, it's totally undetectable. It's like, this is not, this is, this is just bullshit. And they, they do everything for a headline without any analysis of it. And I just was like, so wanting to like roll my eyes and scream as you were talking because this is just their MO and they just give people talking points, but they are so good at getting their talking points out that people believe it and they share it in memes and nobody like
2: investigates the detail behind it. It's so frustrating. And it doesn't even matter that it it contradicts itself because one minute they're saying that this was a coordinated thing, this done by the DNC and it was this massive countrywide thing. And then a couple of weeks later, they were saying, well, it wasn't a big coordinated thing because they couldn't prove that. And they were saying, well, it was just because of all the rhetoric and Biden voters realized that they could do some kind of voter fraud with mail-in ballots by making all these mail-in ballots of their own. Like, again, like how would hundreds of thousands or millions of people on their own suddenly all collectively decide to do the same type of voter fraud, but it wasn't a big, you know, DNC-run conspiracy. Like, it doesn't make any sense.
1: 20 million people, I think, is the number that they're saying. Yeah. That's that's massive.
2: Like 25% of the people that
0: voted for Joe Biden.
1: Yeah. I think the craziest thing is if you go back and look, like, it's very simple. I don't know. People won't, or they will, and they'll say... Whatever, but you go back and look at Trump a week, two weeks, a month, three months for the election. And he says at every rally, you know, the Democrats are going to come out and they're going to vote by mail. Like he says it all the time. It's, it's full like of fraud. What he said was going to happen, happened. So I don't yeah. know why. they're like. And he and he didn't say it was fraud as much then. I think he was saying that that's what's going to happen. I want you guys to go out on election day and really, you know, vote in person and have that red wave or whatever they were calling it. Um so I don't, it's just, it's crazy. Like,
2: yeah. And then on on election night and the days after, all the people on the right were like, why is 100,000 votes being counted and they're 99% for Biden? Well, Trump was saying for months, don't vote don't by mail.
0: Me. Yeah.
2: So frustrating. Kirk, what's
0: your headline?
1: Mine is something I kind of unpack as a group. I don't have, I have my reaction to, but I um, I don't think we've talked a bit about this in our group text at all. So it's interesting to talk a bit about together now but i've been talking to a few different people about this but um the one headline there's a bunch about this but it says covid may cause rashes and swelling that doesn't mean you're allergic experts say i've seen in the past two days so i've had a few friends who've been like oh no you know they're saying not to get it if you because it's causing allergic reactions oh the vaccine yeah Mm -hmm. the vaccine this whole allergy thing i've seen it like pop up everywhere and they're saying as people i think a lot of people are using as a way who didn't want to get the vaccine in the first place as a way to say, we shouldn't get it because the people who got it a day ago, the first people to get it are having allergic reactions. Um, And I think a lot of experts have come out and said stuff like that. Like it's kind of your, some people who are getting it, it's their body's reaction, which is normal with a lot of vaccines. Um, and I also was reading elsewhere that if you, a lot of people say, if you get crazy reactions or allergic reactions to certain medicines, those people usually don't get, they're, they're warned not to take any vaccine anyway, not just this COVID vaccine. It's just like a thing people know in general, I guess, but I just think it's funny that I've seen people jump quickly jump to like, oh, see, there's already something wrong with it. It's been out for 24 hours and people are already having allergic reactions. I think I read it was like two people, but um, it was like all over this allergic reaction shit. And I just wanted to, I thought it was interesting that um, now people, the headlines are starting to turn a bit saying, because um, it wasn't just on some like BS news sources. It was everywhere talking about the allergic reaction. But now some of the places are saying, um, it's experts are saying it's just your body reacting. You might get rashes, you might swell up, all that kind of stuff. Um, but it's not necessarily like a, a harsh allergic reaction.
0: Yeah, I saw that too. It looks like it was like two NHS workers in the UK. Yeah, but it was people with a history, like you were saying, of a significant allergic reaction. Right. Yeah, and it's just, it's it's only with the one. It's like with the Pfizer one. And with it's the just, Pfizer one, yeah, yeah. Like to me, it's it's there's going to be side effects to every vaccine, you know. And and I feel like, what's the alternative, like? we just let this disease keep spreading and overwhelming our hospital systems. Or do we deal with the side effects? Do we deal with the vaccine or do we deal with the disease itself? Like it, like it just like, to me, it's like, if the vaccine is the only thing that gets the disease to go away, we have to take it even if there are some side effects, like, cause the side effects of COVID are terrible too. Right. But I get, I mean, I get the hesitation, of course, you know, I get the skepticism, of course, it's just, For me, I'm like, it's one of those things where I look at, I'm like, all right, I guess I'm just going to be selfish. I'll make sure I get it. And then I can help other people feel more comfortable with it too. I don't know.
3: It's so hard though, because I think, and I think Andrew kind of, no, it was not Andrew. It was another white man. I'm so sorry, Andrew, but- (laughs)
2: We all look the same.
3: (laughs) You two actually do talk the same. I'd say text the same. But um, (laughs) he was basically saying like, how can you- it's natural for us to have these corporations that, you know, are in a lot of instances bad um, as within an industry that's literally created um, an epidemic with the opioid crisis and to say like, okay, now you have to trust them to enough to take this vaccine that you don't understand because it is just not within the scope of knowledge that you have, which is completely fine for any normal person. And um, you know, this is happening a lot faster than it normally would. And so we're kind of speeding through all these processes. So I think there's so many stops along the way where you're like, ooh, that does seem wrong or maybe I shouldn't trust this company or looking at this entire industry, um, you know, years and years back, they have done sketchy things. But you also have to realize that you are choosing conspiracies over fact. And the fact is that we're hitting the point where every day, by the virtue of numbers of bodies being stacked up, is a 9-11. So if you can sit back and say, well, I don't like all this because of these conspiracy theories and I don't really understand it, either educate yourself through genuine sources, stop looking at What's that new um, right-winged, like... uh, OAN, Newsmax, Breitbart. Parlor. Like, it's like their new Facebook.
2: Yeah, the new new social media platform. Yeah.
3: And I've seen a lot of people are kind of pulling their information from there. And it's, you have to just go to the source. And yes, you can recognize that the source is biased. But from that, you could look at other articles that are written from both sides of the argument. Like it is not that hard to do all of this research. We have nothing to fucking do. So to take that extra step and say, okay, let me at least educate myself and try to understand what vaccines are and how they work in the process. And then I'll make a decision is could truly save millions of lives.
2: This is something that's a little bit near and dear to my heart, but in a negative way, because I have family members some very close to me that are anti-vax people, but they're, they're anti-vax in a way that they, you know, they change from vaccines cause autism to now, Oh, well, we're just saying we have to be careful about vaccines. And we don't think that the vaccine schedule that the government lays out or whoever lays out is good or whatever, make your own choices, do your own research people like that kind of thing. And I can see where this is going to feed into that a hundred percent because, What I do not understand is how people like that, and I think this goes for all conspiracy theories, and we've all kind of touched on it here, basically expect 100% black and white from everything. So they want 100% no issues ever have happened. But what I have tried to get across to some of my family members is these are pharmaceuticals. If there were zero side effects, that means... There is zero efficacy. There is no active ingredient in that pharmaceutical. There is nothing that you can put in your body unless it is like straight up water. But even then, you can drink too much of it if you really tried. That is not going to have a side effect if your body chemistry is a certain way or you have this pre-existing propensity for uh, allergic attacks. Like these two people did. Or what have you. There's some people that can take certain types of pain medication, but other people can. It's all dependent on the person. And if you're giving something to hundreds of thousands or millions of people or tens of millions of people, there's going to be some percentage that have some kind of reaction to it because there's an active ingredient. You know, when people say stuff like homeopathy has no side effects, it's because it's fucking water. (laughs) Yeah, That's what it is. And, you know, the headline is allergic reaction to vaccine. That's all they read. Mm -hmm. They don't go in and say, okay, there's two people with a history of allergic reactions that probably shouldn't have taken it. And they don't understand the whole herd immunity thing where all the people that are capable of taking it should take it. So the people that can't have it are protected because they can't have it. And there's always going to be those people. But on balance, vaccines are one of the safest pharmaceutical interventions that we've ever had.
0: And it's absurd. Like, like people who take Viagra have election, erections that last longer than four hours. Like, it's just mm-hmm. like, like there's side effects. So literally every single, like there's side effects to food you put in your body. Like you yeah. feel gassy. Your stomach is upset. You're tired. You're, I can eat peanut butter. Fine. A lot <laughs> right. of people can't. Yeah. Right. Exactly. It's so, Oh, it's so frustrating. Yeah. Well, damn you, Kirk. Yeah. I just good. wanted
1: to put it out there that people need to not, but there, it's these people and I, I thought about this because was like, do I do this on like the flip side? Like they don't want this to work for whatever reason or they don't want to take the vaccine or they don't trust the government to give them the vaccine or whatever yeah. it is. So they're looking for anything. So this is like an apple for them to take. And I was like, but do I do that? And I'm sure I do like on yeah. the other side. certain. So I'm like, it was a good example of that to be like. No, like anyone, I had friends that did kind of, they were just like, oh, look at this. I was like, okay, let's really look at this. And then they, they agreed. They're like, oh yeah, no, that doesn't make sense. That's only two people or whatever. It wasn't like everyone's going to die from the vaccine because of an allergic reaction. But um, I think it's just interesting that people will look for what they want to look for. I think a lot, or they'll take a headline or a piece of news the way they want to take it and and um, make it work their narrative, which I think we all do. I think it was a good example of that. Um, But in this case, we're right. So, sorry.
0: Yeah. But I think to that point, it's it's the same thing. You know, like there's now Hunter Biden is under investigation for tax issues and money laundering. And, like, all of a sudden, the entire, you know, Republican propaganda arm and Republican news, like, they're all freaking out about Hunter Biden. Like, where were any of you when Don Jr. and Ivanka and Jared, all of these people were doing the same thing? I mean, we don't know what Hunter Biden did. Maybe we'll figure it out by the time this podcast is released, but he's been in, under investigation for two years. Um, you know, they clearly haven't found something significant or they're making a case but you know like he's been under investigation since Joe Biden announced his candidacy for president so it's right. it's it's the same thing it's like all of a sudden these people are willing to turn their eyes towards somebody else because it benefits their story politically that the bidens are corrupt and that hunter biden is corrupt like yeah okay like if hunter biden has a corruption issue He's not sitting in Joe Biden's fucking cabinet. He's not sitting. He's not working for the president. You know, like um, the Trump children were. It's just like it. Like the. But everybody fits these stories to fit their mold, um, and that's one of my headlines for the week. But uh, Erica, I'll give you yours.
1: <laughs> you only get one, Erica. Everyone else gets two. You no, know, clearly. Good thing I only got one
3: because I okay. did can take up all the time. Um, so this actually relates to my favorite, least favorite state, and that is Florida. (laughs) And um, basically what happened was there is a woman, Rebecca, I'm going to say her name was Rebecca Jones. And she worked, um, she was a whistleblower. And basically what she did was the governor was suppressing a lot of information around COVID. And she was basically like, no, like, and she blew the whole thing open And um, a few days ago, a search warrant was put out there. I don't know how to speak legal, so sorry. But um, there's a search warrant and they come in to search her house. And the video is disturbing because even at the very least, this is just a woman who was a scientist and a whistleblower. And that's it. She didn't pose any threat. There is no indication that she had weapons, but of course they come in guns blazing, pointing guns at her children, searching her home. And it was because there was a breach in the, um, alert system and they basically accused her of it. She said, I, I do not know technology. This is not within the scope of the things that I know. Um, Many people have come out saying that this doesn't even sound like something that she would say. So it, it truly was, in my opinion, it was potentially a fear tactic. But that being said, she is potentially facing up to five years in prison for this cyber crime. Um, and if you look at every headline, it says whistleblower charged up four or five years, um, which I think is misleading because she... You cannot indict someone for being a whistleblower. The whole thing is just so scary to read in a country that we claim to be free. And, you know, everyone talks about their First Amendment rights. And in theory, yes, this woman did, um, I'm sure, betray some secret that she was meant to keep. But it was for the good of the people, Um, And to see, you know, cops breaking down her door and threatening her family with force, um, I I think it really shows the debilitating state of our country and also that Florida is a garbage can place.
2: (laughs) We all knew that. (laughs) I I think it is a very dangerous place precedent. And what's what's funny is, you know, there's people who say that uh, it, it was a hoax, or it was something that the government capitalized on, and maybe it's real, but they capitalized on it. Or they're they were saying it's real. And, you know, we have to be careful, but the numbers are wrong, or the numbers are inflated, or they're trying to make it look wrong. Why not apply that same scrutiny to somebody who is saying, look, here is the government making the numbers look better. Like that was part of what she did. She ran this uh, dashboard for the whatever the Florida equivalent of the CDC or public health department or whatever it was down there, um, and she got fired. I, I don't remember the reason why she got fired, but she was the one that had basically developed and programmed this this data dashboard. She was a data scientist, and then when she f- was fired, she went and did it on her own. She made that same dashboard, but, right? You right. know independently and i guess they didn't like that they didn't like that those those numbers weren't what they wanted them to be and again like the the election looms so large that that's what comes to my mind to compare it to right now like why aren't we applying that same scrutiny for finding fraud to states that trump lost like the same dominion machines were used all over the place like and and the same voting processes were used in a lot of different states. Um, Why aren't we applying that same scrutiny to those states um, to see if if fraud happened? And it goes back to what Kirk was saying. It's a hundred percent confirmation bias that people are only looking for what confirms their opinion and they, they don't want to hear what doesn't. And um, you know, that's what we're seeing with this woman. And that's, it's dangerous that, you know, I mean, a lot of said about free speech and a lot of people don't understand what that means. And that means the government can't stop you from saying certain things. That is what this is. She was saying that the numbers are different from what they were saying and they raided her home and arrested her. And, you know, it's all on some bullshit thing that makes it quote unquote legitimate but I mean, it's basically them shutting down free speech.
3: Super casual, you know?
2: Yeah. It's totally fucking absurd.
3: But it, again, that's, you know,
2: Like,
0: there's video of it.
3: Yeah. The, mm-hmm. the videos. It's just, I'm watching it right now. It's just awful. Like the, in what I get so upset with is the fact that our government is so quick to pull the gun on someone. Um, knowing the psychological damage that does, God forbid, physical damage, and all for and what.
2: And her children were there.
3: Yes. And I think the guns, at one point, you see them point guns at the children, um, like, where's your mom? Um, And all for what? Like, and that's what I always settle on, is all to lie about a pandemic that... To some people, it is very real. Like I have family members, distant family members, but family members who have died of COVID. I have friends who've gotten COVID and who are still dealing with the after effects of COVID. So it's all this to cover up something that I think the majority of the country accepts is real um, and a good chunk of the country doesn't believe in. But to that point, if they don't believe it now, they're never going to believe it. You are not changing their mind, and that is it.
0: No, I fully got into it with a family member. You know, I I posted a story about my you know mental health, about how I was feeling low and depressed, and and um, you know tired of being inside. I got. 52 responses on that story, like of people being like, We love you, you can make it through it, or I'm struggling too, like this is really hard for me. And then I had one person, one family member say, Well, if we didn't have these Nazi and communist lockdowns, and if the CDC wasn't under reporting data, we would all be able to get back to our normal life. And I just went, Okay, like what? Like my reaction was like, I'm Uh, like the cdc isn't you know i like i fact checked i provided supporting articles like i you know like did the things i normally do when people send me misinformation that's propaganda or conspiracy theories and i just said you know this is dangerous that you're saying this while we have other family members who have contracted covid people who are setting up you know the lobbies and hospitals to be patient rooms for the hallways in like basically like a a bubble for there to be patient beds and hallways, Mm -hmm. like doctors aren't risking their lives and going into rooms or just basically sacrificing nurses for you to just say, this is similar to the flu or for you to say, you know, these lockdowns are ridiculous. Or another quote I loved was, you know, why don't we just have all the people who are worried stay home and anybody who's not worried can go out. And I just like the level of selfishness that that is for all of those healthcare workers who did not volunteer to work during a pandemic. That's not why a bunch of people that I know signed up to be nurses. It's a level of selfishness. And as you said, Erica, it is one of those things that is not nothing will change their mind. Mm-hmm. I gave them articles, I gave them my own personal feelings, and then I recommended that they follow epidemiologists who have been really helpful for me learning about these things. I'm not an expert by any stretch of the imagination, but at least I have an opportunity to learn a little bit more. And those three things and then all I got was fuck off, you can't take, you know, an opinion of someone who's different than you and go live in your bubble or whatever the hell the exact phrasing was, but that was the message and I just thought If that's your impression of me and this podcast and, like, what my Instagram is, you have no idea what you're talking about. You attacked somebody who was talking about their mental health by talking about Nazism and communism and fascist lockdowns and and fake CDC numbers. Like, that that was your response when, when someone was, you know, just trying to put some feelings out there on the internet, you know? I just... The, they they won't change and and I, I don't know how else to change them other than giving them research of people who are smarter than me and then giving them personal testimonials and putting things out there on instagram it's like frustrating you know i didn't mean to hijack your headline but you know i i it's just it's exhausting
3: here's where i stand and i've had this conversation with a lot of people if they accepted covid for what it was they also have to accept the hand that they played in getting us to this point so i coach volleyball as was mentioned and i show up to practice and i think we're done for the year um probably going into next year as well but i said oh where's this one player and the guy who runs it was like oh well she went to a family event and about five people got COVID. So um, once she gets tested, once she tests negative, she can come back to practice. And I flat out said, if she comes to practice within 14 days, I'm not showing up. Because that was irresponsible. She should have not have put herself in that position. And if her parents say, yes, you can now go to this other practice with eight other girls plus three coaches plus whoever whatever parents show up to watch their kids that's totally fine not going to be an issue like that's irresponsible on their part too so I think a lot of people just would rather live in this fantasy world where COVID is something made up by the government than accept that all of these deaths and all of these numbers that we're seeing and the you know our healthcare workers being not even burned out. I just mean completely incinerated at this point. Um, And having so little supplies is partially their fault. They would never do that. So it's easier to just be like, "Mm, hoax.
0: (laughs) Because they're the ones that have been pushing reopen, 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 reopen. Mm -hmm. The rest of us are saying reopen smartly, reopen safely, pay us to stay home. That's what they're doing in so many other countries. It's
1: like, I had this conversation today, like if we keep doing this, we're just going to keep doing this. Like we're going to keep opening. We're going to keep closing. Businesses are going to keep slowly, maybe, maybe not all at once, but slowly start shutting. Mm-hmm. It's going to hurt them worse. Then of course we are for getting re- relief to them. And there needs to be some way of doing it. There needs to be a better way of stimulus. You know, I don't need a stimulus. I have not been, my job hasn't been affected. So I should not get one like that type of thing should happen, but that's a whole nother conversation. But I mean, the only way to get a strong, healthy economy back is to get rid of this. That's the only way you're going to get it. Because otherwise it's going to keep going. Like no one's it's going to keep going back and forth. Like it's never going to stay open. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. It's, and not. Their, it's just and, not possible. And their new argument is, well, the first lockdowns didn't work. So why would these be any they different? Did. They did work. They literally they, worked. Like they, they did exactly what they were supposed to do locking down is not going to eradicate. That's why for six
1: months, at least in Philadelphia, I, we didn't have concerns about seeing four or five people walking outside. Like I didn't have that, that fear that we have again now or the in the beginning where it was sitting on a park bench was scary. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's because there was, the numbers were so low. Now it's like one in 22 people or something. This time around, I could name like 15 people that have had it or might have it. You know what I mean? The first time I really couldn't. Yeah. People just want to, and it's so funny because the people that like have been either, I don't, want, I don't want to say everyone's a denier, but they think there's the hoax people and then there's the it, it's real and you can get it, but you're not going to die. You might like the numbers are so low, like right. the tra- really. chance of me dying. But then when they get it, like I know someone who has it and they're not one, but their parents were and their parents are like, oh, don't come over. I'm like, wait, your same parents who've been saying that, you know, no one's going to die from this now that you have it, they don't want you coming mm-hmm. over. Like, oh fuck! Yeah,
0: finally it's impacting like, come me. Come on,
1: yeah, it's hilarious. Yeah, I mean it's not hilarious,
2: but it kind of is. It is. <laughs> it is it's because
0: it's so it's so transparent. It's yeah. so transparent. I think. Yeah.
2: As soon as it affects them, I, the biggest issue here, like to me, is that this whole country is designed to not work in a situation like this. Not intentionally. I'm just saying that, like, we this country is not built to handle this situation. Because because so much rhetoric is about how bad welfare is mm-hmm. and how bad big government is and how bad government running your life is. And it's all about freedom and individual choice and liberty. And no one knows what any of that shit means, but they say it all the fucking time and they feel it in their in their soul. And that's the problem is, is they've bought it without knowing what they're buying at all. And it really is a faith-based worldview. I, th- I think, um, and I feel like that is why so many religious people or very staunchly religious people, there's religious people across the political spectrum, of course, but a certain type of a religious person is very much on the right. Uh, and, and, and on the flip side, why the right has so much uh, staunch religiosity to it, because goes hand in hand, their faith-based worldviews and, with that you don't need facts to have an opinion because you're doing it based on faith you know that the the virus is not as bad as they're saying you know that the election was stolen and you don't it doesn't matter if you're showing data it doesn't matter if you're shown news articles you can explain it away without any kind of logic as oh that person is just a shill for big pharma and you know this was sponsored by an industry group and that's why we can't take this vaccine information as fact and as good because it was sponsored by an industry group but again That is not applied to something like PragerU, which is literally funded by oil. Mm -hmm. And when PragerU puts out 30 videos that all say actually using fossil fuels is the cleanest form of energy and sunlight is bad, (laughs) then nobody goes and says, wait a second, where's PragerU getting their fucking money? Oh, it's literally being pumped in from an oil field in Saudi Arabia. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. I know there was an article today where we talking about that in our group chat around just like the trends in what these people believe that it was like a correlation between like Republicans do believe in climate change and, but like they don't want to give up their trucks. So there's this like, a, like connection with like an identity that it's like, if we have stricter climate change agreements, then I can't have my trucks, my, you know, like, lawnmowers, I can't have my gas-powered things, my grills, my, like, it comes back to, like, things that impact their lives personally. I don't think that we were talking about that, judging by all your faces, but it was something that I read that I'll make sure I share with you guys, too, after this. But it was, like, more about the fact that, like, these people do believe in climate change, they just can't admit it necessarily to themselves, that, like, they would have to change, like, the sound of their like roaring pickup truck it was just like a really interesting piece of like data that was like all like qualitative mixed with like actual quantitative data around like personal identity with political beliefs and like what these what actually motivates these people to vote the way that they are um and that was i'm sure a small segment of the population but it is it's just like this whole this whole thing is so frustrating. And I think that that dovetails into like what we want to talk about in this episode, even and what I talk about in the interview with, with Audrey is just like, how do we stay engaged? How do we keep talking about this stuff? Um, even though we're all right now, at least pretty tired because we haven't really taken a break since the election, but like, how do we keep talking about this? How do we keep making this important? Like what are the things that we're all going to do in our lives to make sure that, we can have these conversations, but also that we're just aware of our own facts and like challenging each other. Cause like, you're not always going to have a podcast like this to listen to and to confirm some of your beliefs. Like we're, you know, like, we know that we have to take a break. Um, you're not always going to have, you know, uh, feet based only fans accounts that uh, talk about politics. You're, you know, like everybody and all of the Instagram accounts and all of the, the, podcasts and everybody I listen to is kind of struggling of how we talk about all this. How do we stay engaged? We have Georgia, like, thank God I guess we have Georgia because it gives us all something to care about. Not just like immediately give up, but it's like, what do we do? Because the, the, this misinformation, this like complete fabrication of our elections of a disease that's killing 3000 people a day. Like when I posted the other week, I was like, we keep talking about what is happening like Daily, but how many people die a week? And I was like, oh, 11,000 people. Doesn't that sound like a lot? Like, I was like, in what world would you be like, yeah, 11,000 people died this week because of the same thing? When would that be okay? If that was happening, if it was with, a like, plane
1: other... hitting. Sorry. But right. no, true. but you're right. It was it's a terror like, attack. And I'm not saying that's right, obviously. Yeah, not, exactly. Like, but, but that's it's... when, when we're attacked, but we're being attacked. People don't get it. Right, we really but we were, were when
0: Donald Trump was running for re-election. China was attacking us with this virus, like it. Just, like well, there's no evidence of there's that. No it's evidence like, it. It, it It's just like complete madness. So I don't know. Like I don't know if you guys have any kind of initial thoughts around like staying engaged or some things that you're going to challenge yourself to do. Like especially in the new year. Like we're kind of thinking of these different like um, aspects of. Our political life and the communities that we're in, but like, what are those things that are going to keep you involved in that and hold you accountable to to staying involved? Maybe not to the level that we all felt we were like during the election, because that really was demanding of a lot of our lives. But like, kind of on a small scale, I don't know if anybody has an initial idea or wants to go first.
3: I think, yeah, me. I the big thing is really <laughs> staying
0: involved. <laughs> like, like, always, Andrew and Erica talking over each other. Well, I'm. It has to happen
2: in one. one. Okay.
3: (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But um, (laughs) I think it's, for for me, it's really investing into things that I care about um, in things that I hold a personal connection to. Um, So whether that be issues with, um, you know, addressing the racial inequality in this country, um, I really care about sustainability and fashion. And I like to be, at least like a micro advocate for it, where I'm more of, you know, I like to have conversations with people, but I think that there's ways to stay involved that are very significant and they can still be wrapped up in politics, right? Like every decision that gets made um, across this country usually passes through on a politician's desk. Um, So I think really finding those things that are passions for you and continuing to pursue them. Um, now that you've seen that, when you use your voice and you advocate and you rally the people that you love, um, you really can make a change. To me, it should encourage people. All right, we've not to say that we've saved democracy because I we've really straight away, but we did the thing, which was getting Trump out of office, and clearly, strength in numbers means something and my efforts meant something so where can I take that next
1: right and I think that's a good point because I think you know one thing we did see from obviously totally different because Obama being and this is just talking at a presidential level obviously we could go all over the spectrum in in politics but I'm just thinking for on a larger scale because I think most people that have been engaged the last few years it's been about the president right so it's like um If you go back to Obama leaving and Trump starting from 2008 to 2012 and the energy that there was in 2008 for Obama that didn't come out for Hillary or that left and went to Trump or whatever is like that, that can happen again. Like there's no one saying that that can't happen again. So it's like not saying everyone needs to be hypersensitive to politics every day of your life when there's not an election, I totally understand that's too huge of an ask for people, but it's understanding like at least tapping in here or there, if there aren't p- passions for you or you don't want to, need to, we don't want to be that involved. That's fine. But like when it matters, you have to be there because I think it showed that I, I think I lived in, we were younger too though, but we lived in like eight years of bliss of like, this is, this is what America is and blah, 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 blah. Like of course Obama had his issues, but I'm just thinking from like a, you know, I don't think we're going to go into that. That's not what I'm looking at Biden as. It's not like and I don't think I was looking at Hillary as that we're um, looking back if she had one. I don't think I would have like sat for the last four years and like four years of bliss. Um, I think it's important to um keep this administration as accountable as we did the last administration Though, do I think there'll be as much protesting from the left or from whatever side you want to say no but if there needs to be there then there needs to be like if black people keep getting killed in the streets under Joe Biden's administration um, or then we need to keep protesting you know what I mean like I've been th- I was thinking of that lately I know it's not a direct correlation to the president and obviously his rhetoric isn't going to be spewing up all this hatred and from what we know but it's still like that's very well not just going to go away so like our That movement can't just go away because um, a huge catalyst of of those issues is gone. Um, And also, he might not be gone. Like, we don't know what he's doing, where he's going to go. And I think that's another place to, to, I don't want to be focused on him all the time, but I think it's, he's still going to have a voice in politics because. An influence, at least, maybe not a voice, but his base is still a voting base. Obviously, so um, that affects not only four years from now, but two years from now, and that's important to remind ourselves all the time too. That you can't ever just like turn your back to it because it varies so quickly. It can be um, the rug can be pulled out from under you. Um, that being said, it's not like we're living in rainbows and butterflies and everything with with um, the Biden administration. So I think it's learning to keep. To keeping him more accountable. And I I think everyone should do that because I don't know if people did that enough with Obama. I don't know if we were just too young. I don't know if people did that, but I wasn't because I didn't really get it, I guess. But like, I hope if I was this age and Obama had just won, that I wouldn't be so blissful about it and um, hold some things accountable. Um, So I think Democrats need to do a better job at doing at, at that.
0: Yeah. And I I think, you know, the the electorate of the of the Democratic Party has gotten more progressive, you know, like whether we were super involved, like when Obama was president or not, or we were researching as much like a lot of things have happened during the Trump presidency to make us realize what type of country we could live in. And there's a ton of criticism and and compliments about, you know, Joe Biden's cabinet selections. There's obviously still criticisms about his policies that he wants to, you know, institute, which hopefully he can because we win in Georgia and we can't do anything if we don't win there. But, you know, to me, it's like the Democratic Party has gotten a little bit more progressive. Joe Biden got more progressive. Like, everybody's kind of moved a little bit. And that's a good thing. They haven't moved probably where a lot of progressives want them to move but i I, that's why i give us a little bit of grace if obama did some things that we weren't maybe happy with because we probably didn't know and he was a little bit more moderate than or he was probably more moderate like a lot of us were at that time and and it's one of those things that i just i get a lot i get frustrated when i see people critique obama not because he doesn't deserve critique but because it's trashing him like he was a horrible president and i think what he did for democracy to empower and uplift a lot of people, you know, and what he still did to campaign for Joe Biden. I don't think we would have won nearly as much if he wasn't. I, I think one of the accounts that I really All appreciated right. the way that they've gone about it is the settle for Biden account. I did not follow them uh, or, or I, I kind of, maybe I looked at their stuff, um, you know, back um, during the election, but I just didn't really like that mantra of settling for Biden. Like mm-hmm. um, I, I, of course I, I settled for Biden, right. But like, I don't, I didn't like the messaging to be, we settled for Biden and now here, let's move forward. That didn't resonate with me that much, but they've really pivoted to Biden. accountability and i think they're doing it better than any other instagram account right now by ranking his cabinet picks you know it's an arbitrary ranking of like great job joe or like malarkey or like what you know it's like some scale or something but it it's just i think at settle for biden but they like they're they're doing what they need to do, and then they're giving people petitions, giving people things to sign, encouraging people to protest when they need to. And I'm like, that's the type of dialogue that I like now, which is funny because, like, I didn't really like what they were doing before. And now I'm I'm really kind of interested in it because it's good to see that Democrats are challenging their politicians. Like, we weren't challenging Obama, or a lot of us weren't challenging Obama, I should say. Um, but, Andrew, I don't know if you have any thoughts around that one.
2: Yeah, I agree with all of the above um i was too young to really understand what criticizing obama meant or should mean were you (laughs) well that's true i am uh officially my age is old as shit (laughs) um and also i mean kirk is really enjoying himself right now with that comment that made his day i'm glad for him i really am I, i love that for him um it was definitely a time in my life where I was one of those people that just didn't care. Like it didn't matter to me. Um, And a lot of that has to do with just privilege of how I grew up and, you know, privilege of who I am as a person. It didn't affect me. It didn't matter. And I think that's one of the good things that Trump has done for the country. Maybe the only good thing that Trump has done for the country is make more people engaged Uh, because I certainly felt like I had to go out and vote against him um, in 2016. Um, It was for Gary Johnson, but don't at me. (laughs) <laughs> wow. Oh no. Canceled. He runs the settle
1: for Johnson account. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> has two followers.
2: Him and Gary Johnson. He yeah. <laughs> got more votes <laughs> than Jill Stein. He's my boy. <laughs> um, I, I, I think it, it goes back to like what we were talking about with the vaccines where of course there's going to be side effects. And we have to remember that these people are still politicians And all the stereotypes and jokes about politicians are here or there, whatever. But to some degree, there's truth in the stereotype. They're politicians. And what I have learned as I have gotten older, much, much, much older Kirk is the more people I meet in positions of power, um, whether it's in the workplace or in government, because I've met some local people like Wolf and Brian Fitzpatrick and people like that. um, it's just to get to a certain level of leadership and power in anywhere in life you have to crack some eggs like you have to step on toes you have to do some things that people are going to think are is shitty it's just a it's human nature unfortunately as much as we wish it wasn't It just straight up is. So there's always going to be those things that you dig up in people's past on both sides of the aisle. There's always going to be those policy positions that you can criticize. There's always going to be that thing that they said in 1993 that's going to make some group somewhere angry. Some tweet somewhere and we see this over and over and over again with the rise of quote unquote cancel culture where people drag up something from ten years ago and then it has to be explained away and all of that I think what separates people because you know whether you're in power or not everybody has something like that in their past and thank God all of the social media didn't exist in 1933
0: when I was a child um, hey and Frank he-
2: <laughs> <laughs> Or Xanga journal. Or Xanga Journal. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let's let's not talk about my GeoCities. Do you
0: think Margo is in her top friends on MySpace? Right.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I think what matters is how people have changed and how they have acknowledged whether or not what they said or did was problematic or an issue and how they have explained that. Um, you know, if they haven't addressed it at all it's a problem if they give some sort of stupid non-apology, like I'm sorry you saw that and were offended rather than saying I'm ashamed of myself for saying something like that. And I've changed, that's a problem. Um, you know, we can have all kinds of reservations about Joe Biden and the policies he has implemented over his decades long career. One of the top ones being the 94 crime bill, which he himself authored, um, and I I absolutely wish that he had come out and directly addressed that. And but I understand also why he can't necessarily do that. And that is sort of the big Ouroboros of bullshit that is the government. Where if a government official comes out and says things in a certain way, they get torn apart, and they're like, "Yes, he did it." And if if they don't come out, then they're like, "What is he hiding?" And if they change their positions, then they're flip flopping. And if they don't change their positions, then they're not growing with the times. And and I, un- I kind of can understand why politicians act in a certain way um, because especially politicians that have been in power for so long and they're entrenched in the system. And I, I have liked what I have seen from somebody like Joe Biden who is entrenched in that system as deeply as he is It you know, I don't feel like it's just lip service. I feel like somebody who is that deeply entrenched when they say certain things, they're not going to be paying lip service. They can't pay lip service to certain things.
0: Those people to me are easy to read. Yes. You know, like you can see that bullshit from a mile away. I can see Joe Bo- Joe Biden's bullshit a little bit, but there's a lot of things they see in him that I don't do not feel or believe are mm-hmm. bullshit at all. Yeah, yeah. There's just a wild
1: difference. I think we've talked about this probably a bunch, but like between a Donald Trump, because people could say that they're like, well, he. I guess it wouldn't work in our favor, but he was liberal and now he's not, he changed his mind. Now he's conservative. Like there's, there's, that's so different than like Obama didn't really understand and wasn't for gay marriage when neither was Paul or me or like most gay people. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't make it right. Like, or Hillary or, and nobody was and times change. He wasn't out here, throwing around conversion therapy, like there's a difference. You know what I mean? Like, but people, I've had people throw that in my face about Joe and Obama. And it's just like, there's such a difference between that, which is, which, yeah, it would be great if in 19, 1800 whenever Joe Biden was born, that he came out the womb with the rainbow flag. Like that's the president. I think that the alt left once, and I, I get frustrated with my friends who I love, who are so even more progressive than I am, where I'm just like, that that person doesn't exist that like, this person will never exist yeah. bernie isn't that no, person it, elizabeth warren isn't that person aoc isn't that person and they'll agree they're like they're not we're waiting for that person well no you, you can't like you, you that's not how this is ever going to work
0: you can't have a candidate pass a purity test because our politics are always mm-hmm. changing they're always yeah. changing and like nobody's so gonna frustrated. Pass a purity yes yeah. yeah
2: you're always yeah. and that's the problem i see I, we talked a little bit about this on last week's podcast I wouldn't necessarily call myself center or even center left, but what I am annoyed with a lot with like super far left politics in the same way that I'm annoyed with, well, basically the whole right, because there's no nuance on down the line. Like I feel like they're all this way, no matter how far right they are, is that there is that black and white thinking. There is that moving of the goalposts. Like you're never going to find that perfect person. I mean, Trump was endorsed by a lot of white supremacists, people like Richard Spencer. And then afterwards they were also mad at him because he wasn't white supremacist enough. Right. It's going to be the same thing with the left is, is with people on the very, very far left, like they're never going to be progressive enough. Like no candidate right. is going to show up. And on day one, institute the 50 policies you want and have a spotless record, you would need to elect a baby. That's a day old. <laughs> The one thing I
1: do appreciate, though, of I don't recall the far left, all the progressives, whatever. I I don't know what I consider myself, but the ones in my life that I consider that that I know are wildly different than me is they are always engaged. And I like Mm -hmm. that. Like, they're always engaged. They've always been engaged since I've known them. So, like, I appreciate that. Like, I don't worry about people like that, like, falling off. I know they voted for Joe Biden. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's they're not totally far gone where they like I don't think they voted. The one thing I do appreciate about that group of, you know, super progressive people is they'll always be engaged, they'll always be energized. And that always kind of inspires me. But I do agree, Andrew, that I think it's a never enough kind of game. And I have this conversation with other friends of mine that consider them progressive. And they admit, you're right, it never will be enough. And like it's it's kind of even and I think like even they act like Bernie would have been and I'm like he wouldn't have been. and they know he wouldn't have been. Yeah. Um there's an idea so right it's, it's, super it's, frustrating. An idea. Yeah. it's an idea, and it's great to have and, that. and this whole like burning down everything and rebuilding it's like no let's like I'm a huge proponent of from what i and I could change, but from doing it within, and there are people already doing who are in there doing it, like look at some people that we know of and that are making names themselves that are in there doing this, you know what I mean, and that that Joe and Kamala have given props to and have given roles to, you know that I think get discredited because they're not as being as like burn it all down. Um, Cause it's not that simple. Yeah, yeah, I don't think, and I respect it, but I, I, I also just don't think it's that
2: realistic. It's never worked. And I think we all yeah. know deep down that it's not going to work. I think the difference is, you know, we can obviously look at a lot of stuff on the right and especially anything on the far right and say, well, those ideas themselves are just wrong doesn't matter how they're presenting them. The ideas are wrong. The ideas are bad. And is this isn't to criticize the far left because, you know, the ideas are good. Those are the ideas I think we all hold. It's just how do we get to those ideas where the differences happen? Um, And I think we need to find some compromise. And that's what life is. It's just a series of choices and compromises, whether you like it or not. And the compromise is sometimes going to be in your favor and it's going to make you happy. And sometimes the compromise is not going to be, and you're not going to be as happy, but you still have to make the compromise because it still moves the needle forwards. And whether the needle moves forwards a lot or a little, it's still moving. And we can debate whether we want the needle to move more or whether it should have moved more, but at least it's moving. Agreed.
3: I think, the other big thing that I've I have friends who are very on the left like even sometimes I'm like okay girl sounds good but I realize that a lot of why I approach even their politics like "Mm, wow is because a part of it is how it's packaged right it's scrap everything Start from get rid of this, get rid of that, and I think both sides are kind of the extreme parts of both sides are like tear everything down, rebuild it. Um, and I think when you package something in a way that's either too vague or gets too far deep into the into the um, specifics, <laughs> did you did you hear me almost say Pacific? Pacific. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just got back from California. So.
1: The Pacific Ocean. Uh. just have to let us know.
3: <laughs> but I think when you do drill, either either you don't drill in enough or you don't drill at all, you lose people. And I think Charles said it, um, I don't know if it got recorded. It was before we were recording, but um, he's basically saying that there is a lot of, there's a lot that both sides could agree on, but we can't have those discussions to where we can get to an agreement, And I try to be not (laughs) who I am as a person, which is a very aggressive personality. Um, And I try to say like, like there's this person who is very, very right-winged. I'd say alt-right. And I just said like, hey, why do you think this way? Like, I don't really know anyone who thinks like you. And I just want to get a better understanding And that person's first response was to jump at me. Um, And so I think there's never going to be this agreeance on anything because you have people who are incredibly progressive, but have a different approach to that. And you have people who are incredibly conservative who also take a different approach to that. And there's infighting between each other. And then there's fighting against each other as well. So I I think that one of the big obstacles that we'll always run into in politics is human nature and our ability or lack thereof to communicate and also our ability to just listen. I try to listen to the other side, but again, I, I disagree with the delivery. I disagree with how they're spewing their rhetoric. And sometimes I just disagree With some of the words that they use, like sometimes they'll use slurs or the non PC way. And I'm like, I don't want to hear a grown man say the R word on the radio like that makes me uncomfortable. Um, So I think there's always going to be those kind of more. I mean, everything's human made, but I think there's going to be a lot of personality barriers with it,
2: too. Yeah, I don't know how we get back from this point because thousands and thousands of years ago we were all tribes roaming around in a desert and now it feels like we're getting back to that. We're we're all so segmented into our little tribe and and what it means for us and our identity. And you know like we were saying earlier, you know climate policy for some people it's not about whether or not it's, It's good for the environment or it's good for public policy or it's good or bad for the economy. It's just about I don't want to give up my V8 Mustang or with gun control. It's like I don't want to give up being able to go buy an automatic weapon if I really wanted to. Those things become an identity. Being a gun person is an identity. Being a truck person, or being a, a the guy who who drives a sports car. I mean, even like I love cars. Uh, I love working on them, and I, I've done it all my life. Even within the car community, there's people like they're they're all laughing at me right now.
3: <laughs> it's just such assholes. Like, Why? Like, I just want the listeners to really understand andrew the more that i get to know andrew like the comically
2: whiter he gets they don't they don't need to hear that because even though this is an audio format they can see how fucking bright i am <laughs>
3: <laughs> wait let me get my yeah. sunglasses
2: <laughs> <laughs> i have to record in a dark room i actually don't have any lights on right now this is entirely from just my my white glow that's my yeah. high whiteness it's just uh, it's just these everything we do it segments into these tribes and we i we talked about it last week to me that's like the thing that i i think is is the biggest problem in this country is everything segments into these tribes and it becomes the identity and you see it the most on the right and i think that's the one reason why the right has been so successful is whether they're in the center of the right or the far right for the most part pardon the pun they are in lockstep together they're just goose stepping down the street together and that has worked incredibly incredibly well for them and it's not necessarily the case on the left. And I think it's a good thing that we can hang out with, with super far left people or people in the center and we can find agreement and we can come together and, and have a good time, but also argue about politics, but have it be in a friendly way and agree to disagree. But at the end of the day, we kind of all want the same things and, you know, we can, talk about how we could compromise or come to an agreement on policy or how to get there. But that, talking it out is good because not everybody's going to have the right way of doing it. We need to find a way that works across the board and and one person's going to have a better idea than the other. On the right, it's this is what we are doing. It's this is the policy. And if you say something a little bit off from that, you're cast out. And, and it's a public stoning and it happens immediately. I mean, look at... Just look at the the roller coaster that is Romney over the last four years and Ted Cruz, who was fully against Trump and then was fully for Trump, and he's now this like demigod to them. Yeah. Like it's worked so well for them because of the tribalism factor, but that's not the way. That's that ain't it, chief, (laughs) as the kids say. I don't think any kids I'm gonna say out.
0: okay sure
2: maybe in like
1: 1932
0: well that's I I think you guys have all hit on an interesting point and and you know my kind of like final advice or final like recommendation on, on staying involved is is you know figure out different type of messages that work with different people in your life you know um because we do have to break the misinformation barrier. We do have to figure out how to talk to people in the middle, to people who are maybe less enthusiastic republicans. We do have to figure out how to talk with people, you know, on, on, who are at the very progressive wing of our party. Um kind of across up and down and 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 you know to me the one of the tools that's been really helpful when I craft my Instagram posts, when I figure out what I want this podcast to be about, when I think about how I Feel about issues. There's um, a subscription from a guy who was um, Obama's communications office uh, named Dan Pfeiffer. He has also works uh, with Crooked Media, um, and he has something called the Message Box. Um, and the Message Box is basically his mm, semi-weekly. It comes like twice a week, or sometimes three times a week. Um, but it's the idea is like it's the message that Democrats should have. It's the message that we should fight against the Republicans with. We should basically. Use this tool, you know, to have dialogue with our friends and family because you know, one thing that crooked stands for one thing that Dan specifically stands for is like combating the misinformation of the Republican media. And um, you know, you can see any issue or you can subscribe for like seven or $8 a month. And and honestly, like for me, that is worth it. Um, you know, because I am putting together Instagram infographics, I'm hosting a podcast. I'm trying to have conversations with people where I can, um, you know, so just even getting that little bit of his newsletter though, you can preview it, you know, I'm pretty sure for, for free on Substack, like, just little things that he gives that are just nuggets of information, you know, um, like the the title of the one from from this week was about, the bipartisan COVID bill. Um, And uh, the subject line is McConnell is getting away with murder. So you're like, Oh, what is this about? And then it says Mitch McConnell would rather save big corporations money than save Americans lives and jobs. Seems like a harsh thing to say perhaps, but it's a hundred percent true. And then it walks you through his reasons for that. And it's very compelling, obviously as a guy who's kind of a communications whip, but if we can all kind of learn to speak a similar language, even when we disagree, Agree as Democrats and be a little bit louder on our platforms and be a little bit, you know, louder in our daily conversations, that will help us a lot because we can fight against that type of misinformation. I mean, right now, the Republicans, all they have to do is say, Trump endorses Kelly Leffler and David Perdue, and then they get millions of dollars in donations. We talked about it last time. Donald Trump has raised more money after the election than he did in the last quarter before it. Like that's how much that res that message resonates and we need to be able to do the same thing. So it's kind of like my action item or sort of call to action is thinking about our messaging, our branding, our stories, all that stuff.
1: I was actually going to say that something similar after Andrew was done. I think it's super important because we won't have, and I tried so hard towards the end of the election cycle To stop, like I think everyone tried this, or we all should have, is a event. I mean, come January twenty first, there is no more Trump, so we can't keep using Trump as the like that's the boogeyman to scare people. Like, like I've had plenty of conversations with people, a lot of friends, parents, or however, maybe over the past year um, around you know, trying to convert them or whatever it is. I know they're like in the middle and it's kind of when you, when you boiled it down it kind of always did come to, I don't really like Trump. Well, he's not going to be around forever. So it's like, eventually they might like the next Republican and that next Republican might be palatable, but he still might be doing exactly what Mitch McConnell wants them to do. So it's like, how do we, um, and I think to Paul's point, it's it's making sure we're as educated as possible um, and not everyone needs to be hundred percent educated it's hard and it takes a lot of time, but like subscribing to these things, I think is super helpful because or finding the things you're passionate about and why are why do you identify with as a Democrat or, or as a liberal or as the left or as the middle or whatever it may be, whatever it is you identify as, or what, what, what makes you feel that, and then really care about those things and express those in those conversations. So it's not about Joe Biden and it's not about Donald Trump. Um, because he won't be there anymore to really use as a crutch, I think will be super important because I think the, the the right, I would hear a lot, is like they just want Trump, the left just wants Trump out, which is 100% true. But at the same time, like they are kind of right. Like I think a lot of people just wanted Trump out. So, I mean, you need to make sure we, we're keeping those people and find those things that you care about to have this conversation, the same conversations you've been having, because... Um, it's not enough just like, I'm going to wait till 2024 to like, find those people again to have that conversation to hope they're not to change their mind again. That's not how it's going to work. I don't think, cause if there's not this boogeyman, then I don't think yeah, it's scary. It's not.
0: <laughs> um,
1: and people can easily just flip back and they can make, like, well, look what didn't happen in this, in the past four years from Joe Biden. And that's exactly what we're going to hear. Um, even if he does accomplish things. Um, so I think that's something important to think about. Um, and one other thing, if we are doing action item type stuff, um, I think in relation to um, keeping yourself engaged all the time is um, getting involved. And however involved you want to be, but just locally in your community, and it doesn't have to feel political, but like, you know, politics starts at home, they always say, and I think at a local level, it really affects you more than a national level, obviously. So I think just getting to know the community you're in, what they care about, how you can help them, um, how your community can help you, all that kind of stuff. Um, and maybe just taking a chill a little bit on the higher level and getting to know your community more from a political and a social and a, and whatever it may be. Um, because then you'll learn about the issues that are in your community that they care about and that you care about as well. I think is a one,
0: one way to stay consistently. Yeah, that's yeah, that's a great. I was gonna say, that's a great piece of advice. Like, there's a huge Hispanic population in Phoenixville, and I don't know, like where their political beliefs are are they engaged in politics like i know they have a couple different churches in town but like they have charities too they do a lot of community events and like no i may not necessarily like be invited to those things but like there's public events that they put on and like just to kind of like even learn those like what those people in in you know my backyard my which is a parking lot um you know my, my parking lot um like what they you know kind of are, are doing in the community because the the rest of my town is a lot of young people like us who, who have some disposable income who moved in, you know, and can afford these kind of like nice brand new apartments. And that's not, I mean, I talk to those people all the time, you know, like, so just figuring out how to get involved in, in community events and stuff or helping with different fundraisers around here. Like, that's definitely on my list of things that I've been like telling myself since we moved here. But like now knowing that we have a break from national politics, I can kind of do. And actually I, t- I talk about that with Audrey in our interview, which is coming up next. So Yeah, she has a lot of good advice. She started like a newsletter actually for her community. Yeah. Um, Anybody else? Andrew or Erica, final thoughts?
3: My thoughts have been finalized.
2: (laughs) Good. Uh I'd say the only thing that um, I have felt myself is as soon as the hangover from the election and all of the, the bullshit circus that came after in the last couple of weeks. Once you're like, oh, Biden won, um, I sort of stopped paying attention to the news as closely, um, which is, you know, kind of reverting back to before 2016. I I didn't read the news. I I was not informed. Um, And I get it. Like, you know, I was somebody with a very short attention span, like reading news articles is a pain in the ass. And it's also exhausting because you're reading like we read our headlines and we were saying how frustrating they made us feel. Um, but it's important to know what's going on out there and continue to stay informed. So I would say the one resource for me that I'm going to start paying attention to again is a great podcast from ABC called Start Here, which is hosted by a guy named Brad Milky, And they come out early in the morning and they're basically a, a sum up of the top news of the last 24 hours. And they're usually around 25 minutes. Sometimes they're a little bit longer. It's something you can put on in the morning when you're making your morning coffee and not commuting anywhere because we don't commute anywhere or a lot of us don't anyway. um, But he presents it in such a, such a good way in a conversational way. And it kind of lets you know like, okay, well, what article do I want to read on my lunch break kind of thing? Um, rather than you know you open up NBC or Reuters or CNN and you're just presented with like, this massive homepage and you're like, what do I read first? And like new articles are just coming in. And do I read the article from three hours ago or the one from 19 minutes ago? And it's overwhelming sometimes to go to a, a, a news homepage and like figure out what you're supposed to read and take away from it and what you're going to miss or not. And um, this podcast does a really great job of, of honing in on what's important right now. And I know we've mentioned this also before on the podcast multiple times, but um, I just downloaded the Ground News app on my phone. And I think that's important also going back to kind of what we've talked about through this entire podcast is understanding what people across the political spectrum are saying. And you can see very clearly, okay, here's one issue. Here's how people on the left are talking about it, on the center left, on the center right, on the right, on the far right. And just even from the headlines that you read, you can tell the bias, you can tell the slant, you can tell what information is being left out. And it's very interesting to then take two articles on the left and two articles on the right and kind of look at them. And you can quickly compare those those two or four or six articles, however many you pick from both sides. And you can kind of see like, all right, so, so what's the left glossing over or, or making sound a little bit, better than maybe it is and you know what is the information the right is just like straight up leaving out or burying at the very bottom of the article where nobody reads um and you get a more complete picture of what's out there in the media landscape
0: yeah that's a really great tip i I love watching their stuff well well cool all right well when we come back we will have my sit down interview chat with uh, audrey bigelow from the nevada democrats All right, everyone, and we are back. Um, So super excited to sit down um, with somebody who I was able to get very close to, I feel like through Instagram, uh, during the last sort of five, six months, talking about um, politics, staying engaged, uh, what was going on with like the Biden campaign, as much as she had time to share. Um, But I think that it's, it's really important for us to understand that there are so many amazing people that work behind the scenes for these campaigns in all different corners of the state that help elect candidates up and down the ballot and help, you know, flip states uh, back and forth. Um, and I think that, like, there, to me, there's there's nothing more awesome than talking to organizers, volunteers, people who work on campaigns. Um, and Audrey Bigelow, thank you for joining the podcast. I know you worked on the Biden campaign in, in Nevada, um, or Nevada, however you say it. Um, but welcome to the pod. Super happy to have you. Welcome to Let's Unpack That.
4: Thank you so much for having me. This is so exciting, and uh, I'm very thrilled to be able to talk about this experience. It was easily the hardest thing I've ever done, uh, but one of the most exciting things and um, obviously important things that I've had the opportunity to be involved in, so I'm excited
0: to talk about it. Yeah, so super excited to have you. So what, I guess, like, just for anybody listening, what was your role and where were you stationed?
4: Yeah, so I got hired to be a field organizer with the Nevada Democrats. It is Nevada, and you will hear all about it if you say Nevada to a local. So my region, actually, we were the distributed region for the Nevada Democrats. And so there was four of us, four field organizers that were in charge of organizing volunteers from literally all 49 other states that were not Nevada. So I specifically worked on California Volunteers uh, with my, my turf buddy, Janelle. Shout out to Janelle. She's amazing. So we had California and then our two other uh, Region 9 um, friends, Claire and Rachel, who are both in Pennsylvania, oh, yeah. uh, but they were in charge of managing all other 48 states, Aside from California and Nevada, how does so that,
0: how does that work?
4: <laughs> I mean, it was it was wild. There was certainly not enough of us to manage forty nine states of volunteers. Like, mm-hmm. I just think there were so many people that we didn't even have the opportunity to talk to. Yeah, we probably could have engaged because we just didn't have time. I think there were di- there are different ways that information filters into the campaign as far as if people attended an event, a fundraiser. I'm not super clear on how the national campaign like shares information with all the coordinated States. Right. So basically the national campaign is the umbrella. And then all of these different state organizations end up being co-opted underneath what's called the coordinated campaign. So the Nevada Democrats is an organization that runs year round, but they became part of the coordinated campaign specifically for Joe Biden. Once he was the nominee And um, now have gone back to, you know, the whole campaign is shut down and they have gone back to operating as just the Nevada Democrats um, and doing their year round work. So we would just literally call as many people as we had time to call and try to get people invested in volunteering in Nevada. And the, the thing about Nevada that was interesting is that nobody really thought, it was a battleground state, and we saw that it was very clearly an important state.
0: <laughs> at yeah, <the> end. <laughs> yeah, clearly like important state.
4: Yeah, and you know, it's it was kind of funny having to to convince people that it was worth their time to volunteer in Nevada, but uh, that you know, Hillary only won by two points in 2016, and if you look at how the counties break down in Nevada, it's literally two counties. Washoe and Clark that carry the entire Democratic vote, basically, and the whole yeah. rest of the state is red. So that's a really scary picture when you look at it, when it's like the entire state of Nevada is red and then the two sections are blue. <laughs> um, so you know, I think Joe Biden ended up winning Nevada by less than thirty thousand votes, I'm pretty sure. So it was pretty crucial. Uh, work as many other states were, obviously. Um, But it was a really unique opportunity to get to engage people in other states because I think that with the pandemic, I think the trend was heading in that direction anyway, to engage people um, in volunteering in states that they aren't from because their state doesn't matter. Like I'm in California It doesn't matter. So I was already wanting to put my time and energy somewhere else before I was hired with the Nevada Democrats. Right.
0: right. Um, So
4: I think like before the pandemic was a thing, like a lot of people were going to start trying to move in that direction. And then the pandemic just really accelerated that in a huge way and gave people the opportunity that they didn't really probably realize that they had before. Um, to volunteer in these other battleground states and, you know, call people across the country, even, you know, people volunteering in Florida and Texas and um, Pennsylvania, Arizona, Michigan, Wisconsin, all the places. So I think, I really hope that we continue to see this trend of really putting a ton of resources towards engaging people from out of state, um, having out of state programs like this that continue to. Tapped into it's kind of a tricky balance too because when you're not from a state, you're not necessarily as invested as you would be if you were from that state, and with other battleground states also needing help and support, um, that you just have to have like a tie into wherever you're volunteering in, and so that was just kind of interesting to recognize from the perspective of of the four of us being the only people who are managing volunteers, not from Nevada. And the whole rest of our coworkers, you know, I think it was probably 50 plus other organizers were all putting their efforts into organizing volunteers from the state of Nevada. So we just had a lot of things that were very different as far as how we needed to approach people, um, how we needed to get them invested and, keep their attention
0: yeah i was gonna say i'm so curious one like the attention factor for sure even you know me calling pennsylvania voters i was much more serious than when i was calling texas voters it was Mm -hmm. texas was like a fun thing to do on halloween as a fundraiser that i was like really i'm only doing this because i'm gonna donate at the end versus like pennsylvania i'm like you guys are my neighbors. Like, I was like, you better drag out that boat. Like, you know, yeah. like, like, who are you bringing? Who are you calling? And it's because I also like know the race dynamics a little bit more mm-hmm. in Pennsylvania. Like I'm, am more familiar with counties, you know, people only care about Clark County once every four, two or four years, you know, yeah. depending on, on what's going on. I'm, I'm curious, you know, like one kind of like, was this your first campaign? And then also like, how did you stumble into the into the role?
4: Yeah, so it was my first campaign. Um, I've been pretty politically engaged probably since late 2015. Um, Definitely didn't do enough in 2016 like so many people who still live with the guilt of 2016. Same. Um, Yeah, and so definitely really ramped up after 2016 and the election that year, obviously. But... I mean I love my life here I live in San Luis Obispo, California. I love it here. Like this is my community, these are my people. I've put so much time and energy into organizing people for different things in this specific community and there was not really ever a world where I was going to move to a battleground state and right. become a field organizer. Like right, that just right. was never something I thought was something I would do. Like it was not even on even on my radar. So when the Adopt-A-State program came out from Vote Save America, I was already wanting to do as much as I possibly could for the 2020 election, and that program was just amazing and so cool, and um, I jumped in full, full force as soon as I heard about it. Started phone banking, first time I ever phone banked was in June of this year, and started calling people on Arizona in June, um, trying to, you know get people registered and would call as much as I had time to call and actually really started to love phone banking. And then for the, so for the training um, for adopt Arizona specifically, um, they, you know, they partnered with next gen America. And so they had groups that were um, training each state specifically. And so my friend Pam was one of the trainers for Arizona and she was, on the zoom and she, her and I have a mutual friend. We all went to the same college. So, um, I had met her through my friend and so I'm on on the zoom training and there's my friend Pam. And I was like, Oh my gosh, it's Pam. (laughs) This is crazy. And so I just reconnected with her on Instagram and started following everything she was doing. She left next gen America um, after kind of everything that's about save America all the training and stuff had wrapped up. So I think that was probably July-ish. And then she got hired with the Nevada Democrats as the training director. And so I just reached out to her one day because we had been bantering back and forth pretty regularly
0: commiserating about the election
4: <laughs> yeah totally and much like we did you know right, back and yeah, forth yeah. all the time on the dms <laughs> and uh i just asked her i was like hey i'm just curious like what happens to everybody working on the campaign after the campaign's over
0: that's that and, has been my biggest question so i was gonna ask you that yeah
4: yeah we'll get we'll get there yeah. uh so she was kind of filling me in and telling me um all about what was going on with the nevada democrats specifically and they had just been approved to hire 12 more field organizers um at the end of august so i applied i interviewed the next day uh did a second interview the day after that and then i think it was four days later i started the job
0: it was (laughs) bananas the fastest moving thing ever
4: Yeah. yeah I mean, unheard of when you're applying for jobs, right? Yeah. Um, and I I mean, I had no idea really what to expect, but I found pretty quickly that it was something that I was going to be good at. And it was really exciting to be in a space where I was really passionate about what we were doing. And I felt like I was just had found my niche um, of something I was really meant to do. And the primary thing that I would be doing is calling volunteers, trying to get them to do phone banking, text banking, anything. And because I was calling people in the state of California, mostly, almost entirely, and people I think answered my phone calls because of my area code, like San Luis Obispo is a very uh, lovely place that people in California uh, recognize the area code, love this place so on the central coast. And so I think like a lot of people were like, are you in San Luis Obispo? And that's why they answered my call. And I just had a really good, I had really good luck with people answering my calls, I think solely because of that. But I just started to really enjoy talking to people um about getting involved in the election and like hearing all these different reasons why people wanted to to join and do what they could. And I, I'm always, I've I'm i always, always been somebody who wanted to figure out a way for people to be involved whatever skills capacity they have. And so technology was a really big barrier for a lot of people who had volunteered on campaigns for years and years yeah, and years and like yeah. physically gone to places and made phone calls in an office with a bunch of other people. And all they had to do was pick up a phone and look at a piece of paper and cross off the numbers as they would go. So I really, like, if I found somebody who was really passionate and wanted to help in any way that they possibly could, but was really stressed out about technology, um, I just kind of made it my mission to make it work for them to be involved if that was something they really wanted to do. That's all to say, there's a lot of different ways you can be involved in a campaign. You don't just have to call people. You don't just have to call voters. You can call volunteers. Yeah. Calling volunteers is more fun. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Well, that's what I find so interesting, you know, like, and the people that I met that were part of the, you know, Pennsylvania um, Democrats, like they were just so inspiring. Like you could tell how tired they were, but like it wasn't in anything they did or said, you just could see it like in their eyes. I was like, I mean, these people were working nonstop. And I remember kind of talking to you about that, like, on Instagram too, is like, for you and your role, like, I think you were at one point doing like 60, 80 hour weeks or something like that, but towards yeah. the end. Yeah. And then, and then like, kind of, but but like you said, like, not everybody has to do that. Not everybody has right. to sort of jump in and dive in, but I'm curious, like, do you have not a favorite story? Cause I'm sure you have a thousand, but I'd love like to hear a story about somebody who you worked with, who was a volunteer that just kind of sticks out in your mind.
4: Oh, there's a couple um there okay so my uh technology challenge friends that I would bring along to volunteer uh there was this just the best group of ladies that wanted to help so desperately but did not want to get on the dialer um through talk for anybody who's yeah. been on the dialer it's a little bit terrifying to get on through talk Um, But they just didn't want to deal with the technology aspect of it. And I was like, great, you can help me call volunteers and confirm that they're going to be there for their shift or call them if they don't show up and chase them down for another shift. And volunteers are generally willing to talk to you and a lot more pleasant for the most part, like across the board. So this group of ladies was just all about it. I think three or four of them that were specifically like doing confirmation calls probably donated the most hours of anybody. Like they were there literally every shift, you know, two shifts a day, every day, like just always there whenever we needed them. And one of them actually lives 20 minutes away from me. And, you know, she would always just call me if she had issues or questions. And she would always tell me, I know you're busy I'm so sorry. I have to keep calling you and asking you these questions. And, you know, sometimes she'd call me three or four times a day and she was, she would always laugh at me for being cheerful and happy to talk to her. And she's like, you're always so upbeat and positive. I'm like, well, I like talking to you. Like, I know I'm busy, but you know, if you need help, I'm here to help you and I'm not going to leave you hanging. And if I can't answer the phone, I'm not going to answer the phone. So I ended up, (laughs) I ended up calling her. Uh, I think the Saturday after they had called the election finally, and I had just called her and said, you know, you used to talk to me like four times a day. Like, I haven't heard from you in a week. I'm yeah. just, <laughs> I didn't know how to operate anymore without talking to you. And it got to the point, too, where she realized, like, when she would call me, I would go do things that I needed to do anyway, like make myself lunch right. or an iced coffee beverage. And so she would sometimes call me and she'd be like, are you making your smoothie? Are you making your iced coffee? And so she just always knew that that's what I was probably doing when we were talking. So yeah, <laughs> oh, she, she was just delightful. Her name's Evie. But my my confirm ladies, got to shout out all of them, Kathy and Lee and Evie were the three like hardcore callers that just did so many shifts. But then I also had my technology um, friends who just would help with anything they could, anytime they could, and like fix spreadsheets and, you know, manage technology issues on Zoom.
0: <laughs> yeah. um,
4: Yeah. Katie, Katie and Daryl were the, the two that were just like, yes, I'll fix this. Yes. I'll volunteer for seven hours straight. I'll help make calls after I do all the technology things. Um, I just like, I, this group of people that helped all, all of them that helped with our group specifically, you know, predominantly all from California, but we had one from Washington, um, And there's a couple from other places, too, that I'm completely forgetting where they're all from. Oh, my cousin from Portland was helping, too. (laughs) Um, You know, anybody who was young who didn't work traditional hours or, um, like, I knew just could do more stuff during the day if they were working remote. I was like, hey, can you help,
0: please? I need Zoom people. Right. I I think it's so interesting because, like... It, it is a community. Like what you're describing is absolutely a community and a family. And like, I even found a similar thing this summer with just like the people I would tag team to create posts with and things, you know, like yeah. if I was working with now simplified or so you want to talk about or 150 reasons or friends vote together or Garrett, like all these people that we just would like, we had this like online community of like, okay, here's what we're hearing from the organizers here. Here's what we're saying in the polls. Like, what do we do? Let's like keep turning. Let's keep moving forward. And it was, yeah. It was fun. It was rewarding. And I felt like I was good at it. You know, like yeah. I was like, this is like, and I, I don't think I ever would have known that I could potentially be good at it. And I can't. Totally. You know, I don't think I was good at phone banking at all, but you know, like I, I, I certainly at least hope that I helped encourage other people to phone bank. And I hope that the people I encouraged to phone bank were effective phone bankers to make up for my shitty phone calls. But it really, it's it, it like not having that right now is is actually not where I thought this podcast would go, but not having that right now is like, it's missing a little bit of like a, a piece of something that I feel like I left somewhere after yeah. this, you know? Um, I mean, I was like, it was like the same as you. I know it. when you first started, I think you were doing like two jobs at once or something or three jobs at once. Like, yeah. I felt like I was doing the same thing with like, I'd be like, all right, five o'clock, shut my work laptop, boom, open up my personal one, let's go. But it's mm-hmm. like, it's weird to not have that now. So I guess my one question for you um, is also, uh, like on that topic is, how how do you plan on staying involved now? Like, what are are you gonna keep supporting nevada democrats or like are you gonna like stay back in your community or like like what kind of what do you view for yourself are you just like i'm still fucking napping
4: (laughs) no i'm not i'm i'm finally i think i did a thing yesterday with the adopt a state um crew that got me really energized again to volunteer in georgia so cool um i so i i recognize the value in these relationships that we had Bill, with this group of people for the Nevada Democrats, and how much we all just genuinely got along and loved spending time together, which is great when you have to spend literally 10 hours a day running Zoom phone banks, that you actually enjoy the people you're doing that with. So I started our own Slack channel and just made a real effort to keep people together um, because. This group of people I know will be ready to jump into whatever the next thing is, including Georgia. So I'm really excited to start putting together more coordinated things with that group of people specifically yeah. to help Georgia. Um, and I, I don't know. I have a million ideas of how I want to stay engaged. Like I, I'm definitely not somebody who is going to sit idly by for too long. Uh, I definitely will stay very active in my community. I'm actually, I have removed myself from all of my existing outside of work responsibilities. Um, And just to kind of give myself a fresh start for next year of like what I'm going to put my energy towards. There is like, I I run a newsletter with a group of volunteers that's aimed at um, civic engagement for our specific community. And we've been doing that for almost five years and That is something like that's always been on my plate in addition to all these other things that I get myself involved in outside of work. (laughs) But I'm really excited to put more focus on that and try to grow that newsletter for my community specifically and then kind of have some time to just like sit and decide like where my efforts are going to go moving forward. I am super passionate about how we can keep the conversation going beyond even Georgia. I think having this Georgia runoff is kind of a nice transition of coming off this general election that was so important that was so stressful and anxiety inducing for everybody and it's you know not to say that the Georgia runoffs are not stressful and anxiety inducing right but a a little bit less
0: (laughs) it gave us like a little yes I know exactly what you mean
4: (laughs) it's like a little something that we can still put time and energy towards it just doesn't have I don't want to say it doesn't have to be as much but um no it just feels it doesn't feel as huge of a thing as the general election it It also feels manageable because it's very focused
0: that's that's exactly how i feel about it is it's focused there's a message there are people who are ready and willing and able to give their dollars and their time and i'm like okay Mm -hmm. it's all going to this one place and these grassroots organizations and these two candidates like that's a Mm -hmm. much easier story to tell than like Well, we can flip the Senate and we can do it in like 22 places. So Uh we we think these 13 are going to be the best, but really these six, but really we should focus on these four. And it's like that story for the person who isn't typically engaged is very complicated. You know? Yeah.
4: It's like, where do you start? Yeah.
0: Um,
4: So I do, I do really appreciate that we have this opportunity to scale, not scale down, but just like become more focused on one specific thing. And then, from there, figure out, you know, there's a lot of things that are going to happen beyond this runoff election. Like, they just, you know, Kamala's seat is going to have to get filled. And, you know, for people who aren't in California, probably won't pay as much attention to that. But somebody's going to get appointed to that Senate seat. And that's going to trigger a special election, I think, most likely in the state legislature. But who knows? And I don't, I'm not super familiar with who can be designated um, as an appointee for that, which I think is another thing worth, you know, talking about and thinking through once we get past Georgia is like, how do these different things work? Mm-hmm. Um, my community specifically, we had a um, one of our board of supervisors members passed away unexpectedly and... There, I couldn't find any information on how that seat was going to get filled, and right. all of a sudden there were these city council, different legislative bodies, other things, and I di- I have no idea what went into the appointment. I I'm super happy about who was appointed, but
0: I don't know anything about the process. Yeah, yeah. And, and then that's, I think it's so common for so many people. I think
4: yeah. Yeah, and you know, and I'm super engaged and involved and pay attention. And it's like, I specifically sought out this information and couldn't find anything that explained it easily. Yeah, yeah. So I think there's a ton of opportunity around those things. Obviously, with everything that has gone on with the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, there's a huge interest now in DA races, which is great because nobody is paying attention to DAs for a really long time. And that's why we have shitty DAs. So, I'm excited about um, how to move that conversation forward. Biden just tapped the Attorney General of California to lead the oh, Health yeah. and Human Services. So, that's another special election night or appointment. I don't know. Um, and th- so, there's just a lot of little things that go on that people just don't pay attention to because they don't know how it works. And there's not as much, you know, publicity and exposure to those things.
0: Not as quote unquote simple as the Electoral yeah. College.
4: Yeah. So uh, yeah, simple. Um, So yeah, I just think that I am really looking forward to the opportunity to kind of dive into more of those things and figure out how to break those things down and find more transparency for a lot of these things and provide that transparency to people in a way that's, you know, like trying to read some of these government documents and laws and all it's awful it is awful like sitting through a city council meeting is not fun
0: yeah yeah
4: (laughs) you know and how do we and that's the big reason we started this newsletter is like how do we take this information make it more digestible easier for people to understand so that they can engage with it um and on a bigger level of politics in general I want to figure out how we can move forward on all of these kind of little nuances that people don't pay attention to and like provide the information on how all this stuff works. So yeah, that's a really long and not specific answer, but <laughs>
0: But it but I think like what you said, what I was hearing while you were saying it too is like there are so many little things. There are little pieces in everybody's community that they can learn more about, that they can know more about, that they can get involved in. Some are gonna be easier to find than others, you know, but truly it's like it this this big election and everything that happened this summer was our as a huge invitation, especially for those of us who maybe understood politics and were engaged in politics, but and voted, you know, but maybe we weren't as fully understanding of all the different nuances of it. And now it's sort of our invitation to be like, let's make this a little bit better. Let's learn, let's take Mm -hmm. on one other thing, you know? And I think that like, whatever that is for everybody, you know, it could be stumbling into a job with the Nevada Democrats. It could be showing up on somebody's, you know, like phone bank and you see an old friend, Like, but there's there's other people out there doing this work. And like, if we stay connected, if we all keep talking, I think that we'll find that work, you know? Like you said, you've got this core group of people who are ready to run who knows what they're ready to run for but they're there and they're ready and and I think that that's an important thing is if we can find even that one friend that those two friends that you know are always going to go to the polls with you they're going to share articles with you you're going to be that's going to be your political group chat you know it doesn't have to be this massive overwhelming thing it can just be small thing that turns into a lot of other mini things. So that's Mm -hmm. totally what I heard and what you said. So Absolutely.
4: And yeah, I think there's a lot to learn from Stacey Abrams and everything that she did in Georgia. And we don't have time to really dive into the specifics of what she did yet. Like it's still happening, obviously. Right. (laughs) But I think once the dust settles in Georgia, and we can actually take a look at the strategies that were implemented in Georgia, we can start to have a conversation about how do we do that in more places? And how do we kind of change the landscape of this boom and bust campaign cycle that people live in that is not great for mental health or anything? No. (laughs) Engagement, you know, anything. It's not good for anything. And start to make this more consistent year round organizing activism all of the things um yeah yeah that is something i also feel really passionate about is kind of changing how we view all of these things and doing better doing a better job like I, california doesn't matter for the electoral college but there are down ballot candidates that didn't get supported In the way that other battleground states and their down ballot candidates got supported. And there's so many examples.
0: Yeah, there's so many examples of that. Yeah. Well, where can people follow you? Does it make sense for some of us to subscribe to the newsletter to see what you're doing? Like, I'm curious. You know, I didn't know that you ran that. So I'd love to just (laughs) give us your plug, you know?
4: Yeah, (laughs) totally. I don't know that it makes sense as far as. Providing any value to your everyday life, but it's funny. Um, so we have <laughs> this newsletter called Slow Scoop, and we modeled it after the Skim, which is a current events um Monday through yeah. Friday daily newsletter. Um, so we it's very snarky. We put it out every two weeks, four articles. You can read the whole thing in 10 minutes or less, and it's we try to put a call to action in as much as we possibly can. It was really born out of a need for affordable housing in our county and in the state of California in general. That's easily the biggest issue most people under 40 are dealing with in this area and a lot of places. And so that was kind of everybody's top of mind problem. And I actually had this really interesting event that our Chamber of Commerce put on called the U40 Activate Summit. And they had absolutely no plan. They brought in awesome facilitators. They invited all of these people for four hours in the middle of the workday. And things magic just happened out of it. It was a really cool experience. And so this newsletter was born out of that. And there's another group called Slow U40 that specifically started to get people civically engaged in doing things uh, more regularly. So I'm super proud of the fact that there was no plan in this four hour meeting and these two organizations that were thought, thought up and created at this four hour meeting. And then we are given the tools to move them forward and keep them going. And they're both still going strong almost yeah. five years later. Yeah. Is a really cool thing, and so if anybody's listening uh, and wants to do something similar, just find some good facilitators, get a bunch of young people in a room, and see what happens.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's super it. effective. That's honestly <laughs> it. Whether it's a DM or a Zoom or an actual room, once we're yeah,
4: all- whatever, just yeah. just see what people have to say. I think one of the biggest lessons from that specifically is that people want to be involved and they want to be engaged and they want to do things that matter. But sometimes people just need to be asked, and they need to be brought to the table, and they need to be given the tools to participate. So I think that that's a good lesson in what can happen when you do invite people to participate. Agreed. Um, So that's called the Slow Scoop. We have um, Instagram, Facebook, uh, a website, all the things. Um, And it is really funny. I think we do a really good job uh, with the snark. It's easily our brand. We've done a really good job. And that was always the most important part of that was keeping the snark Mm -hmm. and the tone consistent. So pretty excited about that. That's like one of my favorite things that I've um, ever worked on and still work on. So, um, but then I also started an Instagram page that I'm really excited to kick back up and put more attention towards as we work towards this more year round uh, engagement around voting and, um, politics. Uh, it's called voting and coffee. And I just had been thinking about it and I love coffee. I just can't get enough of coffee culture and coffee shops and coffee beverages. And I'm literally drinking coffee as we do this interview. And so I was like, I'm really passionate about, (laughs) (laughs) yep. Not not usually that late, but today I was like, I'm having a coffee this late. <laughs> um, so yeah, I just was like, you know, I love, I'm really passionate about getting people to vote and like staying engaged with politics and voting. And I love coffee and like, I think I should just start an Instagram page. And of course, I'm sitting around thinking, what should I call it? What should, you know, what should my aesthetic be? And all of these like dumb things and then I, my friends were just like, just start it. And I was like, okay, yeah, I'll just start it and see what happens. And I gave myself the permission to not, like, kill myself over making this Instagram page. Yeah. yeah. And, like, feeling like I had to post content all the time. And then I got the campaign job, and, like, that page, like, died for a little bit.
0: No way was it (laughs) going to (laughs) exist.
4: So I'm really excited to revive that, but I am coming up with a plan for how to talk more about voting and coffee on at Voting and Coffee. So... Um it's I just feel like it's a nice balance of like important serious things and coffee which is fun and delightful.
0: Glamorous caffeinated drinks. I love it. Yeah.
4: I was a barista in college so I Oh cool. Yeah. Coffee is just like really core to my being. Um so there you have it. Oh cool. And then my regular Instagram page is at audie33 and um, you know, I post a lot of different things. There's still a lot of politics on that page. I finally got to the point where I stopped caring what people thought about my views. And like, if people don't appreciate my views, like don't follow my page. And I also just really think that for a long time, we've been told like, oh, don't talk about politics and religion and all these important things. And I think that we did huge disservice to people by telling them not to talk about these things. Agreed. And and I think we could be having much more productive conversations if somebody had like taken the time to allow these things to be talked about in a reasonable way. So I have just recently, not recently, but probably this year have really just been like, you know what? This is what I think. And I don't really care if you don't agree with it, but I'm going to say what I think and stand behind my values because that's important to me. So... You know, my regular page is anything from uh, politics to cute puppy photos.
0: And that's the perfect blend. Just throw Any, in coffee. yes. coffee. Yeah.
4: Any like, you know, whatever interesting things are happening in a pandemic, which are not many, but.
0: <laughs> yeah, honestly, right. Oh, my God.
4: I saw a post today that was like, it's December. It's a time to be cozy and wear sweatpants. And, you know, just like the other 11 months of the year, but with lights yeah, right. <laughs> or, or more festive.
0: Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's exactly it. My house smells like pine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> It's great. <laughs> cool, cool. Audrey, seriously, thank you so much for joining yeah. the Let's Unpack That family. Um, we appreciate you unpacking yes. to stay engaged. I'm, I'm super grateful that you were able to spend some time, reminisce a little bit, reflect a little yeah. bit and hopefully inspire a couple other people to get involved. It's it's always amazing talking to people like you who just said, I'm going to do it. And then they did it and now they're going to keep doing it. So yeah. seriously, thank you so much. And congratulations on, on flipping Nevada. So, or, oh, or keeping thank Nevada. you. Yeah, so. Yes.
4: Oh, <laughs> what a time. Um, but, but yeah, anybody who ever has questions or wants to just like secretly find out what's involved and what you need to do to get involved, like just message me anytime. I am happy to tell people what to do, how to do it, point them in the right direction. Like it's not as scary as people think it is. So
0: agreed. Well, thank you. We'll talk to you soon. We'd yeah, love to thanks have you so back. much for
4: having me. Cool. Would love to come back.
0: Well, cool. Uh, I hope you guys enjoy that interview. I know it's a little bit different for how we typically record podcasts. Um, But Erica, Kirk, Andrew, thank you guys so much again for joining us. It's always great to have you guys.